You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are continuing our look at Nicholas Meyer, specifically as a novelist, with part two in our series, which will deal with his very first published novel, Target Practice. Um, now, I have heard tell that it is not his first written novel. Yeah, I have too. Spoilers. This novel was written in 1974, or at least it was released in 1974, March of 1974 in, in specific. And it is about a private detective named Mark Brill, who is hired to investigate the suicide of a Vietnam vet who was accused of treason, collaboration. It is. It stars that, but it's really just about Vietnam. Well, yeah. In, in the process, he uncovers a much larger conspiracy involving the vet's commanding officer, who is now running for Congress. Yeah, actually, when I was when I was reading the book, I thought like this is going to be a pretty big conspiracy, considering all the high up people involved in it. And then it's like, no, just just like two or three guys. So, what, so what are your thoughts on target practice? It was a it was a more tedious read than than Seven Percent Solution, which is the other other Nick Meyer book novel that I've read so far. Hmm. A View from the Bridge wasn't a novel, so that doesn't work the same way. But the Seven Percent Solution was a really easy read. It was fun to read. It was an enjoyable read. Target practice was very frustrating. The hardest thing for me about reading most books is that I get bored. I can read books very, very fast, as long as I'm even mildly interested. Halfway through this book, I put it down and could not bear to pick it up again. It felt like every other detective novel I've ever read. All right, yeah. I mean, I, I had a different reaction to it, I guess. Um, you know, I, I, I actually thought it was very good. Um, then again, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the genre in general. And and I liked how how it it, it took you know the conventions of of the genre in, in a very uh, traditional sense, and used them to tell an extremely modern and very relevant story to its its time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it did a, a, a good job of of taking that small mystery and using it to comment on like very very important world affairs. In 1974. Yeah, that's not wrong. I I mean, like, you know, my problem is that I've 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 read lots of books that are like this, lots of detective novels, and and when you get to the point where you are seeing the pieces, and the pieces are not as interesting as you see it in other places, it's frustrating. Well, I mean, we can talk about it, but like, you know, like ultimately, this story sort of it starts with. You know, a, a private detective meets a girl, and the girl's like, "Hey, this guy killed himself. I want you to find out why." And he's like, "Okay." And then he investigates, and he's like, "Oh, it looks like some really ma- messed up stuff happened. He probably killed himself because of that." All right. Oh, it turns out that it turns out that's not exactly all that happened because there was also some uh, some sexual stuff, some sort of extramarital stuff going on there, some incestuous stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, it was pretty much exactly what it seemed like. Well, I mean, I guess so, 
in a sense. You know, I mean, there's always I, I, there wasn't really a big, you know, reveal. You know, there wasn't like a huge twist. I don't know. At the ending, it, it felt like kind of maybe there was supposed to be a twist. But I mean, I think there were enough clues early on that, you know, you could pretty easily piece together the mystery. Did you mean the like the the Vietnam thing, the Vietnam mystery? Well, I mean, uh, the Vietnam mystery, I was thinking more of the actual, um, you know, uh, cause of death and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, in terms of the Viet, in terms of the Vietnam mystery, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you had the, the pieces in place, but then, you know, you got the details and that was, you know, whatever. Fine too. But, um, I mean, I thought that, that within that, the incest mystery, well, that, that was felt like an unmotivated twist. Yeah, that was weird, and and <laughs> I actually, it was this came out a couple months before Chinatown, and it yeah. had a very similar vibe to that, which is strange. Um, but uh, the no, I mean in general, I mean the the, the mystery may not have been the most uh, complex or or, or layered, um, but I I still think it it works, and um, you know I, I I found it to be very compelling. But then you know the the thing that I, I liked about it, I think, in terms of the uh, of it as a as a piece of detective fiction, like I was saying before, was how um, it it really did take all of those those you know time tested Dashiell Hammett or Dashiell Hammett as we learned, and Raymond Chandler you know conventions and I'm never going to pronounce that name like that. <laughs> That's how he pronounces it. I, I I know, but I like I like with lots of names of people who are dead. I I don't care about pronouncing their names correctly. <laughs> okay, so um, but but yeah, it took those 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 conventions and it uh, updated them to 1974. You know, I mean, it had the first person narrative. You know, it had the simple case ballooning into a large scale. You know, I mean, uh, all of those things are are really cool, and and I think that that you can kind of use those you know as shorthand for people who have read a lot of them and and um, you know get across uh, characters and, and whatnot um, in in a economical way in order to you know tell this larger story. To um, me, I mean, to me, it was like it's like there's there there there's a Graham Greene novel that's sort of similar to this, and well, I mean that's unfair. All of Graham Greene's novels are kind of like this sort of thing, where it's you know a story about some people, and there's some tragedies and some crimes and some you know uh, irredeemable behavior and some redeemable behavior, and and you know when it's all over, it's pretty clear that. You know, all of the characters weren't really just characters; they were representative of some sort of cultural or anthropological or, or you know, metaphysical force that you know is important in life. So, when I compare this book to those, this book doesn't look so great. And when I compare this to like a, like a Le Carre novel, you know, like uh, you know, he's got tons of stories that that are involved. They're basically the exact same type of thing. Instead of being, you know, private detectives, they're, you know, spies or intelligence officers. But for the most part, they're doing the same things. And and the, the, the things being investigated are always fairly structurally similar to, like, a detective crime. Except, you know, the people have government jobs. Although the guys in this actually do have government jobs. So it's a little bit closer to that here. And But, like, compare, like, this to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy... It's like, uh, no, it's not even fair. That's unreasonable. But when I was reading it, I felt like this is not even close to that good. 
Well, I mean, some of the things to keep in mind is that well, those are all classic novels in a sense. You know, I mean, those are like... Yeah, I mean, I'm, Graham, I'm comparing Nicholas Meyer to Graham Greene, and, and Nicholas Meyer doesn't look as great as Graham Greene. I know that's completely unreasonable and completely unfair, but the fact is that we can only read so many books in our life, lifetime. Look, looking at it as, as you know, someone, a, a writer who, who I think we both do respect, you know, and even if it's not in, in, in this particular instance, you know, this is the first thing that he wrote or the first thing that was released ever, you know, yeah. movies, television, novels, aside from the love, yeah. the love story story, which we don't talk about. Okay. Because that's, that's like, you know, bringing up Cher and saying, Oh, remember that time she did an infomercial for those people who don't know. And I guess it's worth mentioning, you know, he, the, the first published work of Nicholas Meyer is a book called the love story story, which is essentially a, a making of the love story. The movie. It's the love story companion. Yeah. He was the Larry Nemechek of the movie Love Story. <laughs> right, exactly. But aside from the love story story, this is Nicholas Meyer's first published work. And as such, it's, it's not going to be all that tremendously polished. I mean, it's a freshman effort, you know, who... And, and, and in some ways, I guess, you know, as, as we will learn next week, spoilers, it's a sophomore effort, you know, and, and, and it does that thing, which, uh, you know, I heard um, Jimmy Iovine... The guy who, you know, he produced, like, what, Springsteen albums, and he found Eminem, I think, and he also produced Tom Petty early on. And, he, I mean, he's he's a legend. You and Tom Petty. He's a legend in the music field, and there's this amazing... I can't believe we're not doing The Postman, because you and Tom Petty, ridiculous. <laughs> there's this amazing uh, Tom Petty documentary called... Uh, it's an amazing Tom Petty documentary. It, it is. It it's is a documentary amazing. about Tom Petty, and no. you're going to use the word am- amazing to describe it. It, it is amazing, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, you you got to watch it. It's called Running Down a Dream, and and in, in that documentary, they, they interviewed Jimmy Iovine, and he talks about um, albums... In, in terms of, in relation to an artist's career. And I think that it, it applies to, you know, anything. But, you know, they're like the first album, you know, that that artist or whatever spends, you know, five, ten years making that album. And the second album, they spend like seven months making the album. And it usually sucks. And then the third album is, you know, usually the great one because they've sort of worked out the kinks, they know what's going on, and that's when they really sort of flourish as an artist. And, you know, in terms of just looking at it, in terms of the first two, you know, knowing the history of it now, you know, 7% Solution was written prior to Target Practice. So Target Practice is essentially the book um, that he wrote while he was waiting for 7% Solution to get um, published. And based on the timeline of the events in the book and when it was released, it was definitely written fast, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it was something that he just kind of, in a sense, I, I, I think, threw together rather quickly. You know? It was easy. I don't think that... Fast. I mean, my, my criticism of it isn't that it doesn't... That it isn't polished. Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, not being as, as complex or dense as the 7% solution. You know? It's simple. Maybe not, maybe not unpolished. Simple. I I I wouldn't even say that. I I, I my argument that that some percent solution is more fun to read is is more along the lines of you know it's just it's a little bit more nuts in concept. I mean, when reading it, like the like the internal mechanisms that make that story work are strange. Like you know, you know stories are kind of like clockwork. 
You know, like when the story starts, there are all these various wheels that start moving. And when they all, you know, come together to make the chime at the end of the book, it should be really, really interesting and really powerful. And the 7% solution has these very weird wheels. There's like incredibly tiny ones. And they're incredibly giant ones. And 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 this book, it's kind of like, they're all kind of medium-sized because basically because we, we know how they work. They're like actual, real, normal storytelling mechanisms that exist in the world because it's the world. It's a very realistic book in that way. He investigates this crime in a very, like, understandable, expected way. It's like, oh, this guy killed himself. I should talk to his friends. And then he talks to his friends. And it's like, that's yeah, that's what you do. And then... You know, the friends say, oh, I don't think that the crime that, that uh, you're talking about happened exactly the way you think it did. And then he's like, well, I, I mean, I assumed. I mean, it's a book. I assume that at the end of the book, it's not going to be like, like, hey, you know that thing that you thought happened? Totally happened. Well, I mean, okay, look, looking <laughs> at it in, in relation to 7% solution, like I, I see what you're saying and I don't disagree with it. But I think um, something that this book does a lot better than the seven percent solution is sort of um sustain its its uh its premise you know seven percent solution you know it, it was it was amazing at the beginning with all of the stuff and there was a mystery you know it was a, a sort of a false mystery but yeah. you know it, it it was all about you know getting this also has a false Holmes to freud yeah. right but uh and and that was great stuff and then it seemed like in the second half there was a thing where it was like, this is a Sherlock Holmes story. We have to have a real mystery. And it felt kind of shoehorned in there. And the mystery itself wasn't that great. And um, the big action set piece with the train at the end did not work at all in book form. And, um, you know, I, I essentially found the end of 7% Solution to be rather boring and tedious. It better than the tennis the, scene. The second half, maybe, you know, but the tennis scene was short. At least that didn't go on for three chapters or whatever. But uh, with target practice, you know, maybe it, it didn't at any point in the book reach the heights of, of the beginning of uh, of 7% Solution, but I thought on the whole it worked better as as like a, a unified story. I suppose it's true, but I mean, like ultimately, that's sort of the problem that I have with a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of dramatic criticism of of stories. A lot of people say like, "Oh, the story works better here than, than this other story where the story doesn't work all that well." And my criticism of a lot of that is that you know it's very easy to make a story that works well. I mean, the dramatic beats that make stories work well are actually very well documented, and you could actually just make a machine that turns out effective dramatic stories. And I'm not so interested in simply effective, dramatically solid stories. I'm much more interested in stories that are about ridiculous things, insane ideas, terrible ideas for stories that then somehow manage to actually function at all. I mean, if the story is dramatically completely broken and then limps along towards its conclusion, but its conclusion is weird and the story is strange and it's exploring something that I haven't seen explored in a story before, I'm much more interested in that. Okay, and that might have been what he was doing with 7% Solution, but with target practice, he was taking a much more practical approach to discuss a much more uh, straightforward uh, issue or, or set of issues. You know, to me, there, there's two, two main things which, which this book is actually about, like you were saying at the beginning. 
Well, it, it's there's one thing which it's, it's about, which is Vietnam, but it's set against the backdrop of, of Watergate as well. And just to put it into a historical context, this book was released in March of 1974. That's seven months after the last American troops were withdrawn from Vietnam and mm-hmm. five months before Nixon resigned. Yeah. So looking at it, first in terms of, of Watergate, I mean, like the very first scene in the book, he's flying home. The, the detective, Mark Brill, is fr- flying home from D.C. Yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot of Watergate stuff. No, but it does put the story in the Watergate um, tumult. Right. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think what that does is um, really gives the book – I mean, it, again, we have to look at it in terms of 1974. We have to, but we also – have to do the opposite. Well, okay, but 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 by looking at it there, you know, the idea of like Watergate being the backdrop for this book that makes it extraordinarily um, relevant, I guess, because or 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 it lends credence to its relevancy because it's like super modern. So so by doing that, you know, it it really does um, <clears throat> speak to its time. You know, it says like this is about the now. And yeah, I mean, it, it does also, the idea of, of uh, it being set against Watergate, I think that it, it creates this sort of subliminal sense of, of disillusionment, disillusionment with uh, society, which obviously plays into the, the Vietnam stuff. There's a weird sort of parallel between the events of then and the events of now, because it's it's interesting. I mean, it was the seventies. It was a there, there was a significant economic downturn, and there was a significant amount of boy, that was a stupid idea for a war talk. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of man, that guy who was president, he was really terrible. Let's put that behind us. All going on at the same time, and now the exact same situation is happening. And all of those lessons from that time did not help us at all. <laughs> Even slightly. So in terms of, of, of the Vietnam aspect, you know, this book deals with Vietnam from like a home front perspective. You know, I mean, it's it's after the war, you know, and, and it's really like told from the perspective of people who were not in it. And Meyer himself was 29 when the book came out. So that means that, uh, you know, he was just at that age of all, all, all the soldiers who, who were over there. Yeah. As far as I know, he did not serve in Vietnam. Yeah. But uh, I imagine that it affected him quite a bit, as it would someone of that age at that time. I know that when I've talked with people who were of age during that time, people who went over there, people who didn't go over there, everyone was sort of freaked out. Yeah. Because even even the people who, uh, like, you, apparently it had to do with, like, the number that you got, yeah. like, the draft number that you got. If you had, like, a particularly large number, that was a good thing. Because it meant that they were not likely to pick you. And people who, you know, weren't called up lived in a kind of anxiety. Yeah. Because at any moment they might be. So, yeah. <laughs> so so this movie, you know, what what it does is, is it looks at, you know, not even so much Vietnam, uh, you know, war policy or anything like that. But basically just the effects of the war on the the soldiers you know on on the veterans who, yeah. who came home it does kind of the weird sort of thing where it uh it kind of edges around the issue of the war in general mm-hmm. and you know says these guys didn't really care about the war 
they just, you know, they were brought there and then, you know, people shot at them and then they wanted to shoot back. And when somebody who you are friends with gets shot by a foreign army, then you want to get revenge on that foreign army, even if you don't really care about the larger issues at play. And that's basically the mechanism that militaries and cultures have been using to get soldiers to fight for a very long time. Yeah. And, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't make any uh, explicit judgments one way or another about the war. But I think, uh, you know, the the undertones which are present are, are pretty obvious that, that Meyer was anti-war. It, it basically shows the effects and, you know, it, it doesn't force it down your throat, but it just gives it to you. And I think anyone who's reading it who's, you know, would, would question, like, is that worth it? I don't think that, that this is like an anti-Vietnam story. Like there, there are plenty of stories about the 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 sort of like echoing ramifications of the Vietnam War and its effect on the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Rambo is you know like First Blood is essentially yeah. a story about a guy coming back from Vietnam who's not okay. Right. He was messed up by it, but it's not like Vietnam was bad. It's like Vietnam happened, and then we all wanted to pretend that it didn't, and that really was not cool to a lot of the people who did not have an agenda either way, but then got stuck in the middle of it, and now we're pretending that they don't matter. Yeah. So that's a pretty serious thing. And then, of course, it became the Rambo series, so say what you want about that. Uh, but this is sort of a similar thing, where it's dealing with the, the ramifications of this thing. And this one, I think it kind of screws up its main point, that the, the war traumatized people by creating a situation. Like this, this story, you know, it, it builds to a point where they're like, there was a thing that happened. And what happened? Oh, you know, that story that you heard in the paper or the magazines or an episode of 60 Minutes where, you know, somebody said that in the middle of the war, some guys went into a town and then freaked out and shot everybody. That, that thing that's in all the, the Vietnam movies, that thing that's in every single time somebody has a flashback to Vietnam that explains why they're all messed up, that scene, that happens in this book. Yeah. Considering that they're, they're, it probably happened once, it must have happened every single time anybody in, went into any town in Vietnam because of how many times I've seen that scene in a movie. Oh my god, she's got a gun! Oh, it was just some bananas! The book makes it clear that, that these actions are not okay by any stretch of the imagination, but it also presents a scenario in which you can understand how something like this could happen. And it, and, it, and it lets you draw your own conclusions. You know, it, it does that uh, with with a lot of stuff. You know, like we were saying, kind of with the war in general. It doesn't c- come yeah. out and flat out say the war is bad. It just says like, but there is a the thing, war messed up these people. A there lot. is a thing that really bothers me about this book. We can say that these situations happen in war. People overreact. People react poorly. People, you know, have a moment and and a gun gets fired and everything falls apart. And then at the end of that sequence, one of the characters uses the name of the book. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. says. Uh, I guess our target practice got a little out of hand, yeah. and and to me that was like it was like, hey, you reader of the book, this book is called Target Practice. You know why? Because I'm going to use that term to make it okay for this guy to be the villain, and I think any reader would be like, I can understand how that would happen. That's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate, and I can understand why that would freak people out for the rest of their lives. And then the guy says. That didn't count. That was no big deal, everybody. Let's just pretend that it was just a mistake. We just screwed up. No mm-hmm. big deal. Nobody freak out about this. We killed a whole bunch of people, most of them kids. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, 
that's a very obvious little moment of fourth wall addressing character in order to make that character so 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 unapologetic yeah about this error that we that we want him to be you know guilty of other crimes i mean they definitely stack the deck in that direction because yeah. by by saying like oh well we killed a bunch of women a bunch of kids and a bunch of old guys and not a single person who would have actually even been a soldier. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, they say that, like, flat out. And it's like, okay, so you went really, really, really overboard, you know, to the point of absurd, absurdity in, in a sense. But, um, you know, whatever. It's it's a story. In in terms of, you know, the, uh, you know, what what the it is actually about with, with the Vietnam and with the soldiers, you know, I, I think more than anything, it deals with uh, the psychological damage of uh warfare and um you see that both in in terms of the the character whose whose death is being investigated and then also um in in the witnesses who you know he he talks to over the course of the of the story you know yeah there's some stuff in here which is really 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 dark and well, like, there's to an the point of, of being very disturbing. There's a thing at the end, mm-hmm. like where the like at, at a certain point in the book, you start getting frustrated that like it isn't moving, uh-huh. and and then the investigator Brill, he's like, "Oh, there's a guy who had all of his limbs and eyes and everything is gone. Who thinks he's dead? I don't know. In some ways, if this was like a like a like like a children's novel, I would be okay with this scene because it's. It's so on the nose. The, the the metaphorical representation of all of the consequences of Vietnam in one one limbless, eyeless talking body who remembers everything but thinks he's dead. I mean to I'm, me it's just it's just it just went a little bit too far. Maybe, but I mean like I, I found it to be very effective actually. I was just like I kept on thinking like, oh my god, that would be, you know, Quite possibly a fate worse than death, you know. I, I don't know. I, that, that scene I thought was really pretty, uh, pretty intense. But you know, again, we're seeing, you know, something which uh, you know we see crop up again and again in, in Meyer's works, and that's psychology. Uh, we'll obviously see it a lot more next week with the Seven Percent Solution. But something to keep an eye on as we continue this journey through his career. As far as like a few hints as to what's to come. From this novel, obviously it was a piece of detective fiction, and you know Meyer would go on to write uh, a lot more detective fiction, specifically three Sherlock Holmes books. But no more Mark Brill stories. No, which kind of is disappointing. I'd like to see another one. Um, he, Mark Brill even uses the uh, the the Holmes saying, you know, if once you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely is the truth, and. Uh, there's you know the psychological element. There's the, the military element, and then one little thing which I, I, I found, which I, I'll always think of Nicholas Meyer when when I when I hear this is uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, he, it comes he, up in this book like seven times. It comes up uh, I think twice. Okay, twice and, only twice. And, and and one reference in particular is to the scene where the what would it be warden of the of the POW camp is explaining the rules of the camp. Like, he, he references this scene. It, it's a very famous scene from Bridge on the River Kwai, and he ripped it off pretty much word for word in Star Trek VI, where, where the, the Klingon Rurapente, you know, he's like... Yes. You know, when, when they throw the dude out into the, onto the surface, you know, all that stuff. 
that that scene is straight up ripped off right from Bridge on the River Kwai. And I, I always think of that whenever I'm watching Bridge on the River Kwai because I saw Star Trek VI first, and it's so obvious. I'm just like, there's that scene from Star Trek VI. That's amazing. And now here we are reading the first book from the guy who wrote Star Trek VI, and he not only references Bridge on the River Kwai, but that particular scene. Yes, he he Nicholas Meyer does does seem to have a have a foot in the world of movies even from day one. Yeah. Apparently he's a really big fan of Bridge and the River Kwai. And well, he studied film at University of Iowa from what I understand. Yeah. And just in terms of the critical reception of Target Practice, you know, there isn't really all that much out there, but uh it was nominated for an Edgar Award, which is the Mystery Writers of America or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Their their Oscars it was nominated for the Edgar Award for Best First Novel. It didn't get it. It lost to Fletch. So any final thoughts on target practice? Not really. I mean, there are a lot of little things that I could bring up, but I mean, none of them seem particularly important. I, I did like it quite a bit. I, I would recommend this book to people, especially if you're a fan of, you know, things like Philip Marlowe Mysteries or or. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend Falcon. this to people who are fans of those things. <laughs> I would, too. Well, I mean, the, the one thing about it, you know, something which I was sort of going to bring up earlier is, like, the mystery is not as good as a mystery you would find in a Hammett book, and the atmosphere is not as good as the atmosphere you'd find in a Chandler book. But the way that it, it sort of takes those things and uses them to get this point about Vietnam across, I think, is is a really interesting, a really interesting use of of, of the genre. So, I would recommend this book. I think it's it's quite good. So check it out. You can get it for like a penny on Amazon. So it's worth at least twice that. <laughs> so there you go. Well, uh, that about wraps it up for today. As always, you can find us uh, on our other website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we provide audio commentaries for movies and television shows and a few other random things here and there. Oh, yeah. Um, You can also hit us up on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message over on trek.fm where you'll find this show in addition to millions of other Star Trek uh, podcasts. We also accept communications by semaphore, mm-hmm. um, but not smoke signals. We don't support smoke signals anymore. It's bad for the environment. Um, it's bad for some environments. Yeah. Tune in next week when we'll be back with John Tenuto who you all know and love from the Ready Room's Wrath of Khan episode, where we will discuss the 7% solution. <laughs>